bucks. Never stop here. You're listening to Green and Growing, hosted by Sparky Pfeiffer and Nathan Marzion. C Sparky Pfeiffer, 12.50 a.m. The Fan, talking with our guy, CBS Sports NBA Insider. And, of course, you hear him on Writer Than You on 12.50 a.m. The Fan weekdays, Monday through Friday from 9 to 11. He is Bill Ryder. Follow him on Twitter at SportsWriter. Uh, I think when the season started, everybody was fairly confident in the Milwaukee Bucks competing with the Boston Celtics uh, to come out of the East uh, and go try and win an NBA championship. Bill, do you think that confidence is still there after a midseason firing of a coach and bringing in Doc Rivers, a perennial choke? So, it, yeah, it's really interesting, right? Like, I, it's, I do not have that confidence. And there are many people who don't have that confidence. And I'm not a Doc Rivers guy, and that is not a secret. And I can sort of – we could talk as much as you want about the reasons for that. And there are many people in the NBA who have put that idea in my brain and think that he is not the guy. But he's won a championship. Obviously, he can be defensively inclined. Very important for Milwaukee. There was, there was something wrong with Adrian Griffin's stewardship of the team, or else they would not have fired him at 30 and 13, if I got that right, when he went away. It can be a guy has there has to be a change, and you still have to hire the right person. So, so – there is some optimism if you're a Bucks fan. I have so many family members in Milwaukee that get mad at me when I when I talk about Doc now, and they're worried. But yeah, I think there, I think Sparky, I think there's reason to be worried. I think his history is reason to be worried, and I think it's a really odd choice given the fact that Milwaukee is in a you have to win an NBA championship window. They are obviously they did it a few years ago, good enough to do that to hire a coach where there are real questions about that being a weakness of his playoff basketball as a coach. The thing that bothers me is you, you give Giannis a final three of guys to talk to. It's Nick Nurse won a championship, right? It's Kenny Atkinson, uh, and then it's Adrian Griffin. I think they thought that Nick Nurse would be the choice. They'd get a championship coach. They'd go. Giannis, apparently, according to reports, did like Nick Nurse. He picks a former NBA player instead. Uh, and then the Bucks are left scrambling like, oh, no. So yep. here, here's yep. Terry Stotts because we don't trust you. Here's Terry Stotts to help you. And then Terry Stotts walks out after a, a, a Kerpuffle, whatever you want to call it, in a practice. And then in-season tournament, now it's, according to reports, uh, oh, here's Doc Rivers. You guys know each other. Yeah, uh, he's going to help you the rest of the way here. Again, another sign. I'm not trusting you. But Doc Rivers wasn't in the final three to begin with for Giannis to talk to. And now Doc Rivers is the new head coach. What changed about Doc Rivers in that time? Yeah, it's, it, it's unbelievable. And let me say this, like this caveat. I like the people in the front office in Milwaukee. And I think they are good at their jobs, but this is not a good situation for them. And it is not a good look and it is not ideal. So I can tell you what I know. And I can tell you what I, what I can speculate. Um, what I would speculate is that on the back end, what changed speculation, don't know this, but doc rivers is very charming and doc rivers is obviously very well regarded in some circles. And when you're on television, like, like doc was until he became the bucks head coach for ESPN, you have access to people. And this, I don't know this, but it feels like this might have been in part an end around around the front office. Doc has a reputation for being very good at managing up with, with ownership. Nothing wrong with that. I wish I was better at managing up with my bosses. It's an important skill. But it, to your point, if you wanted to hire him, if John Horst, who is the GM in that organization, wanted to hire Doc Rivers, you could have hired him in the damn summer when Doc Rivers was obviously and clearly available. And I think you're 100% right. Nick Nurse should have been the guy. He, he should have been the choice. And managing your star players, which in its own way is sort of managing up, right? In the NBA, you're the GM, but, but Giannis is he's not your boss, but you've got to manage him properly. When this got out of control and Adrian Griffin became the guy, you, you can't put him in the room initially 
if you don't, if you can't accept that, he, that this could be, this could be the outcome. And, and so it is an absolute mess. And I think what changes Adrian Griffin was in trouble. Doc got brought in as an advisor. I know they're pushing back on that notion, but it's semantics. He met with them. He talked to them. He had met at least once with, with Adrian Griffin. That he was he was in the mix. And I think again speculation, but what people around the NBA think. Once Doc realized because he was hired or brought not hired when he was brought in as this informal advisor. Once Doc realized that Adrian Griffin wasn't long for this world, I think he started to position himself as the guy, and that may have included with people beyond the front office. <laughs> no doubt. He had a month to watch film and watch game film and be like, this is what he should be doing. I would do this. I would do that. I would do this. And then they said, okay, Doc, you're going to be our guy. Out you go, Adrian. In comes Doc Rivers. The whole thing was slimy to me. I didn't like any of it of, of how this whole thing played out. It feels gross, doesn't it? Yes. It feels horrible. gross. Yeah. yeah, but but again, this is the same ownership group minus Mark Lasry, who's no longer part of it, that had Larry Drew at a press conference with Jabari Parker uh, as their number one pick and John Hammond, and they're talking. Meanwhile, they're in New York trying to work out a trade to get Jason Kidd from the Nets to replace Larry Drew, uh, and that whole thing was bizarre and screwed up as well. So anything That's goes true. with the way these guys work. Having said that, so Damian Lillard gets there now. Again, Lillard wasn't a part of this when they hired Adrian Griffin and all of that, and they like to go back to that right. about how expectations change but that's crap in my mind wasn't it always championship or bust even if it was drew holiday that whole roster that was under bud who you fired because you didn't think he did a good enough job it was all coming back so how do expectations change i guess that's where i'm confused i i think everybody still had the bucks in championship or bust mode even before damian lillard yeah you're right the expectations didn't change the pressure changed because you already are expected to win. You're already expected to, to – and you have to make good on this, this window for Giannis. But the, when you trade – I mean, when you trade Drew Holiday, it's already, it's already like this better be right. Obviously, uh, John Horace in the front office did not anticipate that Holiday was going to end up as a Boston Celtic. And when you pair, obviously, Drew Holiday with the Celtics and you pair him with Chris Porzingis, I mean, Boston, when those guys are all playing, are, are a force – you're right. It isn't the expectations that changes. It is the pressure. It is the, oh, no, what have we made a mistake? It is the, the angst that now adds on to the natural expectation and all the things that come with the expectations when you have Giannis. And not just Giannis. I mean, I know some of the parts are different, but you have the core that won an NBA championship a couple of years ago. So I'm with you. That, that argument that things change for Adrian, it's just, it's just not true. You took a championship-level team, and you did what you thought was an upgrade by bringing in Damian Lillard. But if you're wrong, then you have jeopardized a championship-level team and a rookie head coach under that pressure, under that scrutiny, under the, the rhythm that it takes, and you have to try to create between two superstars, and clearly Dame and Giannis are both superstars. Maybe he wasn't up to the task, but I, I'm with you. This was a Milwaukee team that was always expected to be a contender, and that was always going to be the case even if you hadn't completely recalibrated the look of the roster to get Damian Lillard. As you watch this Bucks basketball team with Lillard, Giannis, Middleton, and Brooke Lopez, is it out of line to say that they need to figure out how maybe to start getting Chris Middleton uh, uh, a few more shots within this offense? Yeah, it's funny you bring this up because I'm, we're, we're doing this or developing over at CBS Sports, like an NBA show that, um, that comes out at some point, I don't know, a, a month or so, and, and we're doing test shows, and we had this argument where I, I just sort of casually thought it was a, a legitimate statement, casually brought up, you know, Chris Middleton's, you know, is a, you got two superstars and Chris Middleton, who's, who's close, and there was just there's this uproar, like Middleton's not a superstar, is Middleton a superstar? And maybe it's, maybe superstar is the wrong term, but he was an all, he has been an all-star. I think he is a former, he's a current star player, or should be, on obviously a former championship team. And, and to your point, 
you have to integrate Giannis and Damian Lillard. You obviously should use them more in the pick and roll. You're going to have to figure out end of game situations. Like I, I probably am putting the ball if it's if it's if it's a walk off kind of situation. Hey, I'm putting the ball in Lillard's hand and not Giannis's. But you got it's hard to navigate. And I think what's gotten lost in the shuffle is hey, you got to make Milton a part of this, and you got to get him in the mix. And it's got to be a trio. I, I don't think Sparky there's a big three approach anymore in the NBA. But if there were, he could be a third part of a biggish three. I, he's not that level. He's not a superstar. I got it. But he is an all-star, and he, is a, he can be a difference maker. And, yes, I think he has also lost some of his comfort in the offense as those two superstars are trying to figure out how, how to coexist. Again, that's an Adrian Griffin fail, but now it's a Doc Rivers responsibility, but you're 100% right. It is an important thing to solve. When you look at Boston, I mean, they're clearly the best regular season team, I think, right now in the NBA as we sit here today. Now, they've got to stay healthy. Porzingis has a history of, of, of not being healthy throughout an entire year. So, providing they're all healthy uh, once you get to the playoffs, are they essentially the team to beat in the NBA? I think it's yes with an asterisk. So, the answer is yes, or at least I will put them and the Denver Nuggets on the same pedestal, right? Because I've just seen what Denver is. And I know they've been a little lax with days of Golden Nuggets this year, but, but when they really care, they're, they're really, really good. I think that the Celtics' road is a lot harder. I think there's three reasons for that. I think the first reason is what you just said, injury history, injury, bad luck, and the history of Christoph Porzingis. That matters. I think, that's, I think that's one. I think the second thing is Jason Tatum in big games. And, and look, I know he's had some big games, but if you go back through it, he's had some, he's had some clunkers in game sixes and game sevens where Boston had chances to win and advance. And, and it's the conversation you can have about Donovan Mitchell. It's the conversation you can have about Joel Embiid. Obviously, like Tatum is a, can be a top five player in the NBA. He's got to win some series just himself. And I think it's an open question. And the third thing for me, I think the East is, is brutal. I just think, I think the Bucks and the Sixers and the Celtics are all capable and not surprising if they were NBA champions this year. And I think that there are landmines spread across the East that it can't be all of those teams, but maybe could beat one of them if they got hot. I wouldn't want to play the Cleveland Cavaliers in an opening round series. I wouldn't want to play the New York Knicks if they're healthy. I wouldn't want to play the Indiana Pacers if, and I think when Halliburton and Siakam get more than a couple games together and start to really click and they figure that thing out. And I know that they lost like 500 games in a row before winning the other night, but I wouldn't want to play the Miami Heat. So I think for the Celtics, they're the best team, but I think the field is really, really tough this year. One last thing, as we record this on Thursday, February 1st, we're a week away uh, from the NBA trade deadline, and I, I think it's been really, really quiet, uh, more so than maybe in past years as we sit a week out from the deadline as far as potential moves. Is this going to be a quiet deadline, or are you hearing otherwise? So I'll tell you what I'm hearing, and I, the answer is I don't know. So, so basically, a, a lot of factors, I think, have driven uh, the price of assets up. The, the first factor is the Rudy Gobert trade as, as the prime example, right? They, I mean, everybody made fun of, of the Timberwolves for the four first round picks, right? For, for Gobert. And, and maybe they should have, but now all of a sudden the Timberwolves, at least on paper are legitimate. So there's a sense from teams that are selling assets like Atlanta, like Chicago, right? Moving on maybe from Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan or down in Atlanta, a guy like, like DeJounte Murray, there's a, a sense of we have got to get a return. And especially in Atlanta, it's okay, we, we gave up so much for Murray, we, we got to get a lot back. And teams just don't want to pay that. And the other thing is there are, again, I think so many good teams, especially in the East, that if you're Cleveland or you're in New York or you're the Thunder are really good, the Timberwolves are, are really good, I don't think there's as much desperation in a lot of teams. I think those teams feel like we'd like to improve, but we're not going to overspend because we have a ceiling even as we're constructed. So the teams that are really desperate, teams like the Warriors and teams like the Lakers, 
have some obstacles to, to, to making a move. For the Lakers, they have to give up Austin Reeves in that first-round pick. They don't want to do that. And for the Warriors, do they really want to blow up, blow up a team that, that its core won a championship a couple years ago? So I think, Sparky, all of those factors have, have sort of suppressed a little bit the market. Maybe someone will get desperate at the end and offer too much, or maybe Chicago or Atlanta or Toronto, so the sellers, will get desperate and say, oh, the hell with it, we'll lower our price. So I don't know, but I think right now there's a lot of forces that are slowing things down and creating scenarios where it could be a very slow deadline. He is Bill Ryder. He's got a great show. You can listen to it on 1250 AM, The Fan, CBS Sports Radio's Writer Than You, 9 to 11 AM uh, each and every weekday on The Fan. And, of course, CBS Sports' very own NBA insider. He is Bill Ryder. Follow him on Twitter at SportsWriter. Bill, thanks so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Great to be on.